All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 124 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside uh, Frank Saravalli. I'm in Edmonton. Frank's in uh, Philadelphia. we got East and West, uh, Canada, U.S. Uh, always covered. And uh, Frank, we're into the uh, final day of the NHL regular season. And I can't believe how many scenarios that uh, we got to get to. Or we're going to have uh, Brad Meyer, who just retired uh, after a 23-year career as an NHL official. He'll join us today on the show. And, uh, uh, you know, last night, uh, quite a night for uh, for you and I, for for for. Similar, but different reasons. Yeah. So you go first. Noah comes back, your nephew, Noah Gregor with the Sharks to Edmonton. I know how special it was a few months back when he played his first game in Edmonton, but the start that he got last night against the Oilers had to be pretty cool to watch. Well, dude, I can tell you, um, obviously with, you know, with my gig, if there's the only negative and it's a small negative is when you get into the media eventually, you're not really a fan. You know, you don't we talked about this. There's yeah, nothing like, you know, to root for. And yeah, you, you almost feel like someone that, you know, and an odd person or someone hanging out at the game. That's like a bystander because you're not as into it as a fan is. No. And so, um, obviously with, uh, with, with, with my nephew now playing, um, when, when I get a chance to see him live, I don't sit in the press box, you know, I get tickets and I, and I sit in the crowd. And so last night, uh, one of my buddies said, um, because I brought my wife and my son and, and my mother-in-law, to this game. And one of my buddies that we have this loge section. So you can sit four people together at a table. Nice. So 
we were there and, you know, we're sitting down and, you know, watching the game. And, um, you know, it's funny cause I was, I was telling one of my buddies, you know, she's Noah's kind of do because against the ducks, they lost that game, but his line with Bortolo, they had a ton of chances. And so he comes in and he snipes that one. And, and I haven't like, it was just spontaneous for me, Frank. Like I jumped out of my seat and I was like, yeah. And then I was just like, F and rights, which, and I'm not a big swear. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of going nuts. And, um, and then, you know, we just sit down and then they're announcing the goal and then he scores a second goal. And I wasn't sure at first, cause it was at the other end. If, if it, like, if he got credit for it or not, but still I'm like, my son's like, dad, I think he scored that one too. And we're just like, Oh my goodness. It's the great. hat trick watches on in the first yeah. what, and it was, few minutes of the game. And there's people around me, like, obviously there's some diehard order fans sitting around me and, and I, you know, like the one guy, when he scored again, I'm standing up, I'm like, sorry, boys, that's my nephew. And you could, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay. That's still like, you know, they're totally yeah, fine with legit. it. And so my son though, the part that made me laugh, my, my son's very much a rule follower. So in our house, we have a jar on the kitchen counter that if you do certain things, you got to pay up. So it's, if you swear, which, you know, definitely got to pay up. If, if like my son, if you lick your knife, you got to pay up. Um, if you, uh, and for my son, like he had a tendency, we'd sit at the table and he would just get up randomly from the table. So we had to put in a 25 cent fine. If he just gets up from the dinner table without asking to be excused. Jeez, you so, guys are sticklers over there. So we have all these things and, you know, just kind of teach him some manners and basic stuff. Same with us. Like the licking knife was probably more me than anyone else. And, uh, and the swearing was actually probably my wife. And so my son's sitting there and there was like, if you say the F word, it was like $10 fine. And uh, so when I said that at the time, and I didn't even really realize it when, when Noah scored again, I'm like, this is un-effing believable. And after the second goal was sitting there, my son leans over. He's like, dad, you have to put $20 in the swear jar when we get home. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? You're like, like well yeah, worth it. You said the F word twice. I'm like, yeah, but it's worth it. You know, and so late and it's so funny after the we're ride home in the car and he's pretty excited and, and he's an order fan because he's a young kid. And uh, so he I was like, dad, like Noah scored and the orders won. So he was super happy. Um, and as I pick him out of the car, I'm carrying him in the house. He's half asleep. I put him in bed. He's like, dad, make sure you put your $20 in the jar. And I was just like, get, oh, get out of here, you little who rodent. gets that money. Where does it go? Uh, well, it kind of goes into a family fund. And then we uh, a vacation fund. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, probably at this rate, but uh, more so like we'll go for dinner or something. Um, but yeah, man, I can tell you that like seeing him play uh, a few uh, a month ago was was kind of surreal. I was just very caught up. And now it's a second game. It's a little bit more relaxed. But man, when he scored like that brought me back to the WHL final game seven when he was with Prince Albert. Uh, and I was there in PA for game seven with my son and my brother and the old Art Hauser Arena. It's a small barn. You know how those junior barns mm -hmm. are. And the roof's really low in PA. And it was sold out crowd. They're playing Vancouver. And uh, they won 3-2 in overtime. And Noah had two goals and assist that game. And I haven't cheer like that was probably still the most exciting game i've been to personally like last night it's not a playoff game it's not game seven but it was still it's an nhl goal that you see live and and like he saw a quarter of his total goal <laughs> scored the season yeah yeah and it's uh that's it, his, i mean i honestly you said do like he's been overdue 259 shots this year you, yeah. what did you say earlier he couldn't score into the ocean right now yeah, and yeah. to see them to see him get paid off with two goals in his hometown or close to it um, with family there 
pretty awesome. Well, and, and probably one of my favorite moments was, so I look and where my, my mom was sitting in my seats and where my seats are is in the attacking zone twice for the visiting team. And so when Noah scored and he veered to the left, that's right where my sister and mom were sitting. So they oh, got like perfect. a perfect eye view. They actually got on the broadcast, I guess. And then his other grandma was sitting right below me at the other end of the ice. And so in the third, when Scott Reedy scored for the Sharks, she's wearing a Sharks jersey. She's in row one. She's like 75. She stands up and she bangs on the glass. I was dying. I thought oh, it was man. so awesome. So yeah, it's, awesome. Uh, it's just fun to be a fan again. So I can say that uh, like I see for fans who are going to get into the playoff games now, like last night to me, that's as, as emotional as I'll get uh, mm-hmm. for a game. And it was, it was like a playoff game to be that uh, amped up. And I can see how fans like you kind of forget that feeling. And it's, it's fun to have it for a few nights a year. Mm-hmm. And so I saw I, you, you, yeah. you got to take your son to his favorite team. Yeah. I was emotional for a whole different set of reasons. Um, I, you know, like as a parent and I'm sure anyone listening will understand this, like there's some days when you're a parent, you just want to bottle up and see if you can save it because like, it, it was just such a cool day. My son, Christian is a hockey fan. He roots for a lot of teams, but he, for whatever reason, and I still, I can't figure it out. I can't explain it. He picked the Islanders as his favorite team. Um, and so I don't even know anyone who's an Islander fan. Like (laughs) I hate long Island. It's a pain in the ass to get to from Philly, everything about it. The team had been no good for so long. Um, I went to so many lifeless games on long Island at, at Nassau Coliseum over the years. And I'm like, this is the team really. And you know, it's one of those things you're a kid, like you can't, you just like what you like. And so he had been asking me for two years to go to an Islander game. And I'm always, you know, it was COVID everything else. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. And I was kind of thinking like, maybe he'll change teams. Maybe he'll (laughs) like something different. And he, he just asked and asked. And so finally I, totally surprised him. He went to school yesterday. No idea. I picked him up an hour early. We drove out to long Island, um, went to UBS arena, an amazing place. Uh, that was my first time in the building and it's beautiful. And it was just, he was so excited, so happy, uh, to be there. You know, we got good, good seats, you know, eighth or ninth row. And he was just thrilled all day long. And so to, to do that, and get that experience to surprise him. Um, it was one of those days I won't forget. Oh, and I saw he had his jersey. So, hey, you know, you're there as an Islander fan. He's fitting right in. And, yep. and then they won, which makes it even better. I know. He thought, he was like, the Capitals stink. I'm like, no, Dad. I'm like, no, Chris. Like, the Caps are actually pretty good, and they're going to the playoffs this year. It's the Islanders who haven't been very good. Yeah, but uh, for, hey, the Islanders right now, man, they're playing spoilers. So, yeah, it's, you know what, it's kind of cool that sports can can evoke a lot of different emotions for different reasons. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for people, with the, they go for their families to watch it or, you know, if you're ever lucky enough to have someone you know uh, play there. What was cool, like there was so many friends of mine and, and people that from Beaumont, they were like, my phone's blowing up. They're like, oh my goodness, the kid's on fire. So yeah, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty fun awesome. to see. And yeah. so, so now you, here we are, it's the final day of the regular season. Can you imagine this, by the way, like we have known the eight playoff teams, Jay, since January in the East (laughs) and we get to the final day and not a single matchup is set in stone. How's that possible? 
Yeah, it is. It's nuts in the East. And and in the the only matchups that are set are Edmonton LA for sure. We know it, the Edmonton opens up on Monday and then Minnesota and St. Louis, but uh, we don't know um, or based. Yeah, we don't know. Or did Minnesota's win last night guarantee nope. them? Nope. No, it, it doesn't. could not be clinched no. last night. No, it can't be clinched. So we don't know who's got home ice because there. St. Louis has the tiebreaker. Yeah. And so if they tie in points, it goes to St. Louis, which can yeah. still happen tonight. Yeah. And so in the East, you've got a boatload of scenarios. Tampa Bay lost last night. So now, and Boston won. So if Boston wins or even gets a point and Tampa loses, then Boston's third, they would go to Toronto. Tampa would go to Carolina and then Pittsburgh and Washington still have to decide which one is going to go to Florida and who's going to go to the New York Rangers. It's unreal that we have to wait until time. I'm sure this, like the schedule makers just like, boys, can you figure this out here? I got to, got to get this done and set up and announced because the playoffs are opening up on Monday and we only know one series for sure. Yeah. 48 hours later or ah. 72 hours later. It's crazy. I, I just can't believe that of all the opportunities, especially in the East, like it could have been decided two nights ago, three yes. nights ago and just wasn't. Yeah. Like Tampa Bay now, like, you know, it's, look at it's Washington and Pitt. No one wants, no one wants to win. <laughs> like the caps could have easily won their last two games against the Islanders. Yeah. They were, they were had their doors blown off in both games and could have easily won those to, to, to have this going away to play the Rangers in the first round. And instead it looks most likely like they're going to get the Florida Panthers in round one. Yeah. Well, cause Columbus can play spoiler, right? Uh, too bad. Dubinsky's not there. He'd try to run Crosby probably in game 82, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, the, the interesting one to me is so Toronto was resting. They announced it yesterday. They're resting Marner. A lot of teams Matthews are resting and Campbell. So Boston beats Toronto tonight. They could then meet them again in the postseason. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. But Bo- I, I, I saw that. I believe Boston may be resting up to eight regulars tonight. Oh, wow. Okay. So like, there's a lot of teams that uh, apparently the seating doesn't mean as much as we make it out to be because they're just, they, they're not, they're resting guys. They don't care. Yeah. Like, I wonder, I do wonder if you're, if you're like, if you had to pick and you're Tampa in Boston, would you face, you know, do you try to win to face Toronto or lose to face Carolina. Like that's like, I don't think there's a great answer there. Uh, I don't think I, it's probably pretty close to a toss up. I mean, those two teams finished within a couple of points of each other. They both have a lot of firepower. Um, Carolina has less baggage. Maybe that's one reason why you'd like to play them. The Maple Leafs still like, I, I go back to that clip from their coach, their defensive coach, Paul McLean. Was it last year during that Amazon series when he said they've got demons under their bed in their cars everywhere, like in their closets, like the, like the Leafs have some serious, you know, drama, some serious things that they'd like to try and slay. I think in this case, if they were to play the lightning, it takes the heat off of some of that because all of a sudden you're not expected to win the series and you know, you're playing a little bit more free, I think. Yeah, that's fair. The the one concern the Leafs have to have going into the playoffs is their goals against in the last 12 weeks, Frank, um, the the Toronto Maple Leafs are 23rd in the NHL in goals against per game. 
Like, and that's basically like 12 weeks are coming up on a three month span. Like that's, and I know that, you know, Jack Campbell was injured and, you know, in and out of the lineup, but you, that's a big concern to me. If, if I'm, if I'm a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, like their offense is legit. They can, they can run with anyone. There's, there's no argument about their offense. They got depth all throughout the lineup. They got the league's best goal scorer in Austin Matthews. There's no question, but you it's rare you can do it but it's rare that you win run and gun in the playoffs you know tampa when they won they score a lot but then they got vasilevsky and they and they clamp things down so that there's a lot of teams that i think are going to need to cut down like i really wonder the way florida has scored at, at a historic pace this year in the salary cap era they're now i don't know 15 or 20 goals up on the record for goals scored They've also given up a decent amount. Are they going to have to change their game at all when it gets to playoff time? That's a fair question. Um, you know, I'm just I'm pulling it up right now as, as I was looking at, at 236 teams. goals against. They're within. They've given up more than Tampa, more than Boston. Yeah. Um, but and, you know what, Frank? And I'm using that 12 week thing. And the only reason that's the number I've used is because that's when Jay Woodcroft took over. So I've been focusing on that. And Florida's actually got the eighth best goals against average over the last, like they've gotten better, right? Like it's down to 282, right? And Tampa's at 279, Edmonton's 270. Yeah, but compare it to some of the other teams like Carolina who won the Jennings. Like well, yeah, no, Carolina's Carol, but yeah, like the flames in, in the last 12 weeks, the flames are two, six, two, and the Panthers are two, eight, two, right? Like they've right. closed the gap. They were just, they were so, you know, leaky or, but that's or, a whole goal. I mean, not that that yeah. matters. It's a whole goal over a five game series. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is the, the Aaron Ekblad health factor, right? Yep. Like they've yeah, got, I'd be, I'd be really curious to see what happens there. Yeah, like they've gotten very they've they've improved their goals against the last 12 weeks without Aaron Eckblad. I wonder how much better it could get. But and if you're Florida, not like if if you could let rush is always the word, but let's say he's 90%, right? You could play him in the first round. Or do you wait because you feel that you can beat Washington or Pittsburgh without him and keep him for that next round? I think you try and get him in as soon as you can. And I just from a sheer from everyone's perspective in the lineup, set the expectation, make sure the comfort levels there, give Aaron Eckblad a chance to really maybe I don't want to say wade into it because there's never any easy nights in the playoffs, but at least so that the point where his hair isn't absolutely on fire right away. Yeah. Or, or you're injecting him into an elimination game. Yeah, I wonder if Florida goes 11 and seven, you know, to, to just kind of ease him in and uh, for a game or two. Teams have done it. They've done it. Uh, you know, I've looked around the league. More teams have incorporated that at different times. And, you know, if you have, if, if you feel that you're, you know, your seventh defenseman could impact your game better than your 12th forward and Florida's got tons of depth, right? So it's not like they would have to magically overplay someone just because they go with 11. They got lots of guys. They can play significant minutes. I wonder if that's uh, something that Andrew Burnett thinks about. What's your take on the president's trophy? I, I I had this debate last night, if you want to call it a debate, but I had tweeted out that the Panthers won it. And I said, the president's trophy gets knocked for whatever reason, but the winner has gone on to hoist the Stanley cup eight out of 34 times. The trophy has been won. Yeah. Oh, I think it matters for sure. Like what can you think of a, a, a better predictor? I, I, you tell me one other stat that you can look at and say you have a, a 25% chance, a one in four shot to win the Stanley cup. Why do people make fun of the president's trophy? 
I don't understand it either. I, I don't know. I think because so, some people think, well, if you're number one, you should always win. Well, of course not. But that's not how it works in the no. NHL. It may, may no. work in the NBA. It may work in the NFL. It doesn't. It's not how it works in in, in the NHL. It's it's I, a it's a coin toss at best. I'd love to look up, Frank, um, what slots came close to that. You know, like did the number two seed win five times? Apparently, or? the number three seed is the one is has been more successful. Oh, has right. been seven. I think someone actually. I, I found this in my mentions somewhere. Like someone actually broke out a whiteboard and like wrote it all out. And apparently, either the number three seed or the number five seed. They've both been pretty successful overall out of all 16, but still I know it hasn't happened in a while. I think it's the 2013 Blackhawks that were the last team to do it. And maybe that's why, but geez, eight out of 34, like, give me, like, give me those odds every single time in the Stanley cup playoffs. Oh, you, you would go in and you would take that all day long. And then, you know, I always wonder about the health factor, right? Like you look at like UC Soros, give Nashville credit, man. Like that was a big game for them last night. Uh, They come from behind. uh, They beat Colorado in Colorado. And now they still might have to play them depending on what happens tonight. If, if uh, all they need is one point. uh, I was going to say, that's one of those ones. I think it's still going to end up being Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at Dallas gagging against that Arizona team that might cost them because like, Hey, Calgary's a really good team as well. But if I did, if I had to pick, uh, you know, I might pick like Calgary over uh, Colorado, not by much, but uh, that would be the team I would choose like Nashville and Calgary of Nashville and Calgary, Frank, like there's certain series I want to see. I want to see Nashville, Calgary, Minnesota and St. Louis. That's going to be an absolute war. I can't wait to watch that series. Uh, I look at, at um, like Toronto and Tampa is very intriguing. Like the Boston Toronto though, from the, from the chaos in me, I want it, but there's something about like Toronto and Tampa could be one of the more high scoring series we've seen in a long time. So that's another one I'd love. I think to see. maybe, maybe just one of the better hockey first round series we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, like the Leafs, if, if they could slay the dragon over Tampa, and I know it's not the team that's beat them, but it's two time defending champs. You know, that could be the boost. Cause I do wonder if there's a little bit of a mental block in Toronto, if they suddenly find themselves down in that series. So, uh, you know, that's fascinating. The, you know, the Pittsburgh, I, I'm not sure about, uh, I'm just not sure the way they limping, play lately. Limping they into enough. the playoffs. Yeah. Them in Washington kind of same thing. The Panthers to me, like the Panthers, Frank have just been so good for so long here. It's like, I think we maybe were, we're, we're underrating them a little bit going into the playoffs. Like, do they have a, like if they get Aaron Eckblad back, they don't have a weakness that I see. They won 13 in a row without him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 13 in a row without their backbone on the, on defense. Yeah. No, they, by the way, really a shame for him. You look at the start that he got off to this season. He would have been, I, I wouldn't say contending with, with Yossi or, or Makar, but he would definitely be on my ballot. Hey, speaking of Yossi, man, now he's only eight defensemen all time to have 95 points here. He is, he is making a run. I know he's a defenseman. Frank, I did the, the points percentage of players, you know, involved in the percentage of their team's goals. He's the only defenseman in the top 15 and, and he's in top 10. And, and that was before he had three points last night. Like that is, it's ridiculous what he's doing in Nashville. He is, he has put himself and it's hard, you know, is, is it prong or the last defenseman to win the heart? Like it's rare and I understand yep. it. And I'm not saying he's going to win, but he's going to get a lot of votes. Yeah. I don't think he's winning. Um, 
Macar though, like I, I still have some question on my Naris. Like, is it definitely Yossi for you? Well, it's him and Makar, and I got to break down a lot of the numbers, right? But um, that's that's my point. Is I I know it's him and Makar, but I don't like it's. I think it's really close. Oh no, it is right. But when you're doing when you have an historic season, it's it's hard to overlook that for me. Like if everything's close. And then you come down to, well, this guy's done something that hasn't been done in 30 plus years in the league. Um, the, McCarr, only I mean, eight other guys not, probably not going to get there tonight, but he's really close. Yeah. He's at 86. Like if he were to get to 90, he'd still be the only the ninth guy. 10th because Yossi's nine. Okay. Yeah. So they both kind of hit that threshold. And then we're like, is there really a difference between 90 and 95? I guess there is. Yeah. But yeah. Makar has five more goals. He does. So yeah, no, that's, that's a good vote, man. It's going to be close for sure. And then, you know, and that's why the, the heart's different because the value to your team, like Yossi's the only defenseman in NHL history. Who's going to, who's going to be at 90 point. Well, sorry. Second, uh, Ray Bork did it uh, as well when he didn't have a forward with 90 points on their team. Like, so no one's you, close on the Preds. Yeah. Well, what's his name's at 83, um, Forsberg, right? And yeah, he's missed some 10 games. or 12 point gap between a defenseman and four oh. is a lot. Yeah. That's, that is big time. I, I think I've answered the question. Like I I'm pretty sure it's Yossi, but I, it's really close. Yeah. Hey man, I think the hearts, the, the hearts close. Like Johnny Gaudreau, when you look at like numbers on ice and everything, he's got a strong case. Obviously Austin Matthews scoring 60 goals has a legit case. You know, Connor McDavid's got 123 points, right? Like he's having a great season as well. So you know, he's, he's got sitting out in the last game, right? I think so. Jay Woodcroft didn't go that far, but I'm pretty I sure he's so. sitting out on. Friday. Yeah. I think he's going to, and you know, maybe dry settle too. So I, I can see it. I'm that's, actually, that's, I'm, that's the hill that my over 125 and a half dies on. I know it's I'm all act, about me, but I'm interested to see if what the, if they do, if they play Mike Smith or not. Um, Mike Smith has been in, in his last 10 starts, man, he's been the best goal in the NHL. He's got like a 950 save percentage and a 1.68 goals against. Keep him in the flow. Yeah. And, and you know what? I looked at, I looked at his numbers since Woodcroft took over in days, like how many days between games for starts for him. And uh, when it's funny when he has uh, two days between starts, like he said, he's only had three of those starts. One of them was awful against Minnesota, but that was the order's fifth game in seven days. Um, he's actually been seven and zero when he has one day between starts. And that's what the playoffs are. So, you know, I, w- I wonder how much that impacts it, but he, do, do you risk it though, Frank? On the off chance he could get injured, when I looked at his five, six, seven days between games, rest days, he's still got a pretty good record. So do you play him or not? I think it comes down to feel. I could see the them say, hey, do we want to risk this or just put Miko Koskinen back to back? Yeah, I'd probably still play him. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. Well, Frank, I'm excited for this. Uh, we're going to get recently retired Brad Meyer is going to join us now on the DFO Rundown. Now we welcome to the DFO Rundown, recently retired, former NHL officially, had 1,460 regular season games as an official, uh, almost 100 in the playoffs. He was in the 2017 Stanley Cup final, and he had a 23-year career as an NHL referee. Brad Meyer joins us on the DFO Rundown. Brad, congratulations on a 23-year career. Welcome to the Rundown. How are you? I'm real well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. So 19, well, we've got to go back. 1999 is when you played, when you had your first um, 
NHL game. But I want to go back before that, Brad. Um, I, I was looking up things. I think you started officiating like in the WHL in 87. So when did you actually start officiating as a youngster? I guess I uh, got my first taste of it uh, when I was about 12 years old. It was kind of a funny story. We were on our way home. Uh, my younger brother, who's four years younger than I, he had an outdoor hockey game after one of my practices on a Saturday morning. So we were driving back home. This was in Saskatoon. And uh, we got to the outdoor rink, got on the rink, or he got on the rink, and there was no referee that showed up. So they knew I had skates in the car, and they asked if I wanted to do it. And I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, it was basically chase those guys around for an hour. And I made four bucks. So I thought, hey, this could be all right to make a little <laughs> four bucks, four bucks, little candy money for me there. So uh, um, I, that, that was kind of the first little taste of it. So I did a few more of his games that year. And then like I went to a clinic the following year and registered and kind of started pursuing it from there, worked my way up year by year. So it's been a long time, but that's that's kind of where it all started. So. And you were a hockey player, of course. And um, was it, I think you played junior B a little bit. You were going to, was it university, Brad, where that's when you decide, okay, um, I, I can't do everything. I can't be a university student. I can't be an official and I can't be a hockey player. So uh, you, you chose the one that you felt you, you had your best chance at. Well, yeah, I would let, it was more of a, I gave up hockey because that was what I was the worst at. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to get through university. That was something that I always wanted to do. Uh, I was 17. My first year of university, I played one game of junior B in Saskatoon, actually with the Dundurn Wheat Kings in the, I don't know, I think it was the Sask Junior B League, whatever it was called at that time. Um, and I'd started university and was officiating basically up to AAA midget. So I was, my playing wasn't that far ahead of where I was already officiating. So um, it wasn't really that difficult to give up the playing side of it um, because just the time balance to be able to take full-time classes and officiate because the travel at that level, even already with officiating, I was working, like I say, some triple A midget and some senior hockey in Saskatchewan. So traveling outside of Saskatoon already. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I gave up the hockey part of it. I still like to play, a little bit of wreck and I hope to play next winter again. So, um, but yeah, had to give it up and no regrets. That's for sure. So the whole time you were working your way up though, Brad, doing Western hockey league games, you were also, I believe a city of Saskatoon firefighter. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I got to, after I finished university, um, I had already applied to get on the fire department twice in Saskatoon. And I got down to the final interview. Uh, it's, it's quite a lengthy process. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, it, it became kind of my passion and my pursuit while I was officiating. Um, and then the third time I applied, uh, I got down to the final interview again and actually Mark Wheeler, um, who was a linesman with me in the, or in the national league, he was, we were in each other's wedding parties and his older brother, Jim was a captain at the fire department. And, uh, he finally went to the chief and said, look, what does this guy have to do to get on the department? So I don't know if he had some pull or whatever, but my third time through, uh, I got hired in 93 uh, at Saskatoon Fire Department and left there the end of August of 98. And I have to say it was one of the toughest decisions I ever made. Um, still, some of my closest friends are on the department there. It was a fantastic job. Um, it was a great 
I guess the the size of the department was really good too. It was only about 250 guys. So everybody knew each other. It didn't matter what hall you got transferred to or shifted around to. You knew the guys. It was like a, uh, almost like a small team um, everywhere you went. So it was, it was really hard to leave. In fact, my dad was still, he was, he couldn't believe that I was leaving that job to go and try and chase pucks because he said, you know, your holidays, you know, what your salary is going to be, you know, everything. So why are you leaving that? But I had to chase the dream. So. Yeah. Shout out to um, another department member there in the city of Saskatoon, Jeff Shen, the father of Braden and Luke Shen, also uh, a member there. Um, Brad, you know, you mentioned the decision that you had to make. What was the process like while you're also working your shifts to continue working through? You started doing obviously some some minor league games and you were part of the, I guess, the officials association trying to break through to be a full time guy in the NHL. Walk us through for those that don't know what it's like trying to get from sort of part time NHL official to full time. And I guess that's part of what helped make the decision a little bit easier for you. Yeah, I was busy uh, for sure. the The way our schedule was set up at the fire department, we had we worked two day shifts, two night shifts, and would have two days off, two days, two nights, and then six days off. So, at the time, we had no kids. My wife Colleen was uh, teaching at Walter Murray in Saskatoon, and um, she coached volleyball in high school. So we really didn't have a home life when I was, uh, even if I worked day shifts in Saskatoon, the Western league would try and work me in Saskatoon or even Prince Albert, which was only about an hour and 15 minutes away from the house. Um, so I'd maybe have to leave. I'd get somebody to come in early and cover the last couple hours of my shift so I could get to PA. Uh, and then on my two days off, the Western league would kind of do the same thing. They'd work me close to home. And then when I had my six days off, um, you know, then I would travel in the Western league and the national league kind of would work together and I'd go work five games and six nights and be gone, um, on those days off. And, you know, one trip, it might've been for the Western league. And I would go out West and work Portland, Seattle, tri cities, and, you know, back to Seattle, Spokane, and then home. And the next six days off, I might go out east and i'd work uh some ihl and american league uh, chicago milwaukee peoria in that area and then come back home again so you know and the guys in the fire department were really good they loved to hear hockey stories so you know if i had to swap shifts to maybe get a, an extra day off um i would do that and then i would pay them back you know take shifts for them in the summer um to kind of make it all work so it was a uh, a lot of juggling of shifts, but, uh, you know, like I say, the guys were so good and a funny Jeff Shen story too. It's talk about a small world. My dad coached Jeff, uh, junior B it's back crazy. in the old Saskatoon Wesley's days. <laughs> and then we had, we had fire hockey, um, where we had our own dressing room and stuff in one of the local rinks in Saskatoon and both Braden and Luke used to come out and skate with us when they were just like eight and 10 years old. And they were both fat little turds that came out and skated with us, but, <laughs> You know, they were on the ice constantly and such good guys. And to this, right up until the end, they were, I mean, they were so good to me. Every time I touched the ice, you know, hey, how's it going? Dad says hi. Rita says hi. They're total just such class good guys. family. Oh, total. Yep. They were, they were so good. And, and, you know, it's nice to have that connection going way back for sure. 
So Brad, you now, my understanding was you were actually a linesman in the WHL for your first five years. Then you, you transitioned to the, to being a, a referee. How'd the transition go? And when you called a few games as a ref, is that when you said, okay, it's, it's ref or die now for me? Well, I was, I was refereeing other stuff like uh, CIS and junior B and senior hockey and stuff. And I was working in the Western league as a linesman and I was quite happy to do it. In fact, I thought if I was going to try and pursue anything further than that, um, you know, lining was maybe the way to go. And then after I think my, yeah, it was my fifth year working lines, Rick Dirksen at the time, who was in charge of the Western league called me and said, uh, well, how do you feel about refereeing in the Western league this year? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it. He goes, well, you're going to. So <laughs> that made, that made the transition pretty easy because uh, it was either that or I wasn't going to work the league anymore. So, you know, and, and kudos to the Western league too, because they supported me. I mean, there was obviously growing pains because the uh, lining and refereeing are, even though they're similar jobs, they're, they're not the same. So, um, but yeah, it was like, I guess having that, a little bit of a refereeing background with those other leagues helped the transition to, to referee full-time. And to be honest, once I did it, um, it was probably easier because it was the focus was refereeing only at every level. So it made it a little better, a little easier afterwards. What do you like? Obviously there's different roles you're calling penalties, you know, other linesman's offside and icing and different stuff like that. Um, but the physical toll as a linesman, I know maybe not as much now because there's not as many fights, but is the physical toll as a linesman much more than it is as a referee? Yeah, they're the, the linesmen. I mean, they are a lot more involved physically, like whether it's just scrums or, you know, plays at the bench, they're constantly um, in the middle of those guys making line changes. And um, I kind of equate it, the refereeing being a referee is like being um a head coach, you kind of got to be a jerk sometimes to the players and stuff. And the linesmen are almost like assistant coaches in the, in the aspect where they can kind of smooth things over. They can talk players down and calm them down and maybe keep them from being so mad at us. And they're like the peacekeepers They're you know, their, their, their job is so multi-level multitask. They, I mean, they don't get enough credit for what they do. Um, they can make a referee's job so much easier. The, the best linesmen make the referee's jobs seamless some nights. So, but they also skate a lot less. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's just different skating. They, we, when we went from one referee to two referees, we went from pursuing the play all the time. So skating forwards into the play tight turn and then come back and try and catch it at the other end. And now the, with two referees, the referees tend to do a lot more backwards skating and let the play come at you instead. And mm -hmm. the linesmen, they, I mean, they, they're all over the place. They're forwards, they're backwards, they're chasing down icings, they're working the blue lines going across the ice. So those guys are a lot more agile. We're just more forwards, backwards, and those guys tend to be a lot more agile, which can be tough because some of those guys are such big guys that, the, you know, what they have to put their bodies through and jamming on some of those little planes to get to the next city. I, you know, I feel sorry for them some days. It's a lot. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask, you know, Jason mentioned 1400 and some odd games, you know, you've done and seen almost everything, an all-star game, a bunch of outdoor games, two Olympics, a Stanley cup final, what goes into the decision-making process? Like, how do you know it's time? Um, is it a conversation between you and the league? How does it work? Yeah, the 
through the league now, they have a succession planning process where, you know, they approach guys um, that have been around a long time, um, usually late 40s, 50 years old, somewhere in there. There's really no uh, magic number. Um, and they, and, and now it's just a discussion. They'll approach guys and say, Hey, what are you thinking? And, uh, this is kind of what we're thinking. And basically it comes down to you agree on a number. Um, I was fortunate enough when they approached me, um, we came up with a number of five more years, which, um, at that time put me at the end of last season. And then with all the COVID craziness and, everything that's happened the last two years, I was fortunate enough that um, Stephen Walkham uh, gave me uh, another year. So that was why I was able to work this year as well. Um, and and it, it really is a, a process now. It's a give and take as opposed to, you know, the old days where they would, you know, the, a guy might not even know that he was going to be done. And all of a sudden they would come to you and say, Hey, uh, next year is your last year plan accordingly. So it's certainly for the better now where guys can plan and, uh, you know, financially. And, and if there's things you want to do, um, you know, special trips you want to make, I was fortunate enough. I had a trip to New York this year. I had requested to be in New York for a few days. I was able to take my daughter, uh, who's 16 years old and is a dancer. So, you know, we saw three Broadway shows and the Rockettes and <laughs> Harry Styles concert. So awesome. I was father of the year for a weekend. And, and, that's part of that succession planning process is they, they try and make things, um, you know, happen for guys that are on their way out. So, so Brad, and talking to a, a number of officials just in prepping for this, our chat, they had said, you're kind of the Dean of the guys in the West that you took a lot of young guys under your wings, uh, over the last number of years and sort of, you know, helped along in the mentoring process. I don't think enough fans or casual fans of the game understand just how much turnover there has been in the officiating world over the last number of years, guys retiring. You mentioned the succession plans. There's been a lot of injuries as well throughout the last number of years, COVID, you've had to work a lot of young officials into the game. You know, tell us why that was important to you to help these guys out in terms of uh, paying it forward. Well, it's a pride thing. I mean, as, as an official, as an NHL official, I was proud, proud to do it. Um, we got, we, we have, it's jokingly this Western group, right? We're, we're tight with each other. Um, a lot of us, work together in the Western league guys from my era. We all work together in the Western league, the guys that came up now, uh, the younger guys, they all work together in the Western league, but in the middle, there was a group of guys that worked with both of us. So, um, for me, you know, I see these young guys come up and, and they're proud of being from the West and they're proud of, um, you know, where they came from. So it, it wasn't a conscious decision I made, but, but just being, Proud. And that's not just with Western guys. We have a tight knit group, but like all those, all the young guys that come in, you want to make, if, if those guys look good, our group looks good. And I think that's important. We, you know, we get beat up enough in the media and social media that um, they might not, sometimes they just need a confidant to, you know, to go and have a beer with after the game and they're down and, you know, they, they think they screwed up one call or two calls and, and my biggest message to those guys was listen, like get through tonight. Don't get too high. Don't get too low somewhere else. Somebody else is screwing up. So the talk will be about them. And tomorrow we move on and go to a different city and make a mess there. So, um, 
again, a lot of it is just pride. You want our guys to do well so that the group looks, looks like they've done a good job as well. Brad, I've always found, you know, it, it can definitely be a thankless job because, you know, the, when you go to Edmonton, the fans are order fans. When you go to Philadelphia, they're Philly fans, right? And and uh, when there's a call that goes against their team, they don't like it. If it's a call that goes in yeah. favor of their team, they'll never be like, oh, yeah, that's a great call. It's never a bad call when it goes in favor of your team. And that's, just, you know, there's very few people that are there to cheer on the officials. It's a, a pretty thankless job. But, you know, over the years, like, h- how do you learn? Like, obviously, I know there's the pride. And I've talked to, you know, numerous officials in different uh, leagues and sports over the years. Obviously, you want to be good. You, you never want to uh, impact a game but when when you do make a call that you know is it instant that you know it's wrong or do you have to see video like how did that work and if you knew you made a wrong call would you just skate over to a team hey guys i missed that one and was that the best approach how what did you do on on the odd chance when you made what you thought was like an egregious error yeah well believe me if we if if any of us make an error, like, you know, right away, it's like, Oh, your arm, sometimes your arm is barely up in the air and you're like, Oh, if I could chew my arm off, I would, but <laughs> you know, and that, but that's, that's all pro- part of the process. If you honestly, I always found was the best policy. And, um, you know, that comes with the respect back and forth with the coaches and with the, the, the players, you can, you can say to them, like, you know, look, you know, I know even before they show the replay 24 times on the jumbotron, you, they, everybody in the building knows that you screwed it up. And then you just tell them like, look, I don't know. I, I got blocked out, whatever. Um, I, I thought the stick hit him in the face. It obviously didn't, you know, and that's on me, you know, hopefully you guys kill it off, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You don't want to have that as your go-to every time your arm goes in the air where you're telling a coach or a player, yeah, my bad. I screwed that up because that gets old pretty fast too. But um, you can't, especially nowadays with the iPads on the bench and the, the players know right away. So you, you can't BS anybody. You have to be honest. You just, I think the, the important thing is you can't use it as an out every time as well. But I mean, it's, it's going to happen. We try and make the game fair, try and make the game safe. And I think that, um, that's what the players want. And, and, and most of the players realize that, Hey, mistakes are going to happen and they can live with them as long as they're not for a period and 10 times a night kind of thing. So I, I, the honesty part is, is very important. Now, what about the camera angle? Because to me, having talked to so many officials positioning is, is, at the forefront of what's going to make a great official. Now, if you're in good position more often than not, it can help you. But the camera angle that we see as viewers at home is not the angle that the official on the ice is seeing, right? Has there ever been conversation to have like a, a ref cam? Cause then people would say, Oh, here's the angle he saw. That's why the call was made. Yeah. Well, we, we actually tested out uh, a couple different companies had ref cams available for us. So we tested them out, but, there were there there are a number of things that were not perfect with them. They okay. they were super heavy uh, to begin with, and it wasn't the camera itself that was heavy, but it was the battery pack that um, that they had to use with them because they couldn't they couldn't record the just have a stick camera and record it and use it after they wanted instantaneous. So, anyways, the battery was the issue with the the helmet cams. They were. Um, they were so heavy and cumbersome, but, um, the, it, it is hard to compete with the number of cameras that are in the building. There's, you know, I think in the one final I worked, there was 30 cameras the last game. So it's important. And, and that's what our bosses preach now, um, is sightline. So work hard to get to a good spot on the ice where you have, you still might not see, 
um, the play correctly a hundred percent of the time, but you give yourself the best chance to see it. So, and um, it's been an evolution with the four official system to try and find what the, the sweet spot is for as far as positioning. And I think, I think we're getting there. I, I mean, it's a, it's an ever changing process, but I think that uh, we're getting close to being where we need to be the majority of the time, especially with the, you know, the guys that are such good skaters now that they, they can get in and out of traffic really easily and uh, do a great job of getting into where they need to be. Brad, how difficult was it working during COVID? I mean, full marks to everyone on the front lines who was out there every day, but the officials, mm -hmm. once hockey started up again, not a lot of people were traveling, masks on planes the whole time, everything that goes with it, the daily testing, but also just from a social perspective in the sense that, you know, four officials come to a market, they all kind of scatter, go their different ways. No one really travels together, but you get to a city and instead of getting dinner or something, you're kind of locked in your room the whole time. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was a pretty lonely existence. I'm not going to lie. Um, you know, especially for our guys, that's, that's our social network is our group of guys. And, uh, you know, the good thing is we didn't miss any work. We, we were able to do it, but like you say, it was, it was tough. You get into a city, um, you know, you order room service, you order, you know, uh, the delivery food and you ate it in your room. You might, see a guy in the gym for 10 minutes in the morning and then you wouldn't see him till lunch. We could walk to some place together outside and pick up food and back to the hotel and eat it on our own. And, you know, and then like you say, travel was, we were completely on our own. If we were, we had an example once last year, there were four of us that were traveling from Montreal to Ottawa and we had four rental cars driving one behind the other down the highway. Um, you know, so it was, uh, it was a lot of time solo um, a lot of Netflix, a lot of books, but, uh, it was, it was tough. And, you know, it, it was, it, it was tough on the Canadian guys, uh, in the aspect that you saw the same seven teams, they were sick of seeing us. We were sick of seeing them. Um, I have to say the coaches and the teams were, were outstanding and treating us like, not like enemies. We were all in it together. Um, I know the guys that went to the U S they had different battles to fight because it was that constant cross border, uh, with the testing, uh, worried about getting COVID in the U S and getting stuck down there. You know, some guys had 60 day road trips where, um, they didn't come home. They were, wow. they left Canada. They were Canadian based officials, but we had too many Canadian based officials. So they had to go to the U S and, um, you know, they were gone for two months. Um, it, it, it was difficult. It was nice this year to kind of get back to a little bit of normalcy for sure. Uh, you know, we had the little, blip in December, January, where COVID kind of reared its head a little bit more again. But for the most part, we were at least had that social aspect back again. So you guys are road warriors. You've seen and done a lot of really cool things. I bet you have a lot of memories. I was told to ask you about the Sochi Olympics and a oh. bus ride. <laughs> yeah, well, to preface that story, we were, it was a U.S.-Russia game and I was working with Marcus Finnerberg um, Swedish referee who came over and worked in the national league for a little bit. Um, and, uh, Ken Wheeler, who NHL officiating manager was the video goal judge. So a play happened where the net got was up and off its moorings puck Russia scored, but it doesn't count because, um, the net is not in its proper position. So anyways, we come together, we have video goal judge. Um, the goal is nullified. 
I literally had the least to do with the call on the ice. Um, so, um, anyways, they disallow the goal. Russia doesn't doesn't win. Um, the next morning, I want Terry Gregson, who was there with the NHL at the time, pulls me aside and he's like, um, "Have you talked to Colleen?" I'm just, no. What's going on? He goes, "Well, there's." rumors online that you've been abducted and murdered. And I said, what are you talking about? I had no idea. So anyways, um, because I'm a dual citizen, I've got us and Canadian passport. They had me listed as a U.S. official on this game, um, which the Russian people didn't really care for. So we ended up, there was, there was all kinds of, there were protests in Moscow. There was a big poster with my likeness on it in downtown Moscow saying that they were going to turn me into soap. And we had a bus ride that we were going to a spa the next day and the bus, he got lost and he ended up in some garbage dump trying to turn the bus around and he was backing the bus up. So all the fellas were thinking they this bus, he was going to dump me in this garbage dump in the middle of Sochi. So it was quite the story. It ended up being way more than, way more press and stuff over there than it needed to be. It was really uneventful. And looking back now, we can laugh about it, but uh, yeah, pretty, pretty scary at the time, especially being kind of marooned in Russia. Now, Brad, I know uh, offensive linemen have like a joke that if an offensive lineman gets talked about too much, like it's, he gets ripped on. Um, so when you're getting stories about you, are like, is it in the fi- official attorney maternity fraternity? Is that the same deal? Like, are you just hearing it now from your buddies because you're the story? Yeah, not really. I try and keep it like, I'm pretty low key. I try and fly under the radar as much as possible. So and most of those guys know that. So I'm sure that anybody that hears about stuff, they'll, they'll send me some shots, but I'm the <laughs> old guy so I can give it right back. I'll find some dirt on them too. So Brad, when you, you go through that career and you know, we go back to 1999, it's in October your first NHL game, like, you know, at, at what point in the WHL even, or when did you start to think like, you know what? Hey, like there's a chance here I can go to the NHL, like, like young players in hockey. When, when was your all of a sudden, Hey, I think I could, I got a shot here. Well, for me, like the, the national league used to have a program called the trainee program, which was basically for officials that they had earmarked as potentially having a chance. Um, and so I was invited to training camp in 94 so I was part of the trainee program from 94 to 98, but that was in addition to working at the fire hall and doing the, the Western league stuff. So I had, I was doing a little bit of minor league stuff in the IHL and the West coast league and American league. So at that time, you know, there's always the thought, well, maybe I can do this, but there's no guarantees. And um, I, I tell a lot of young officials too, it's, it's luck and timing. If you're the, the next guy in line for the next, position that comes available at whatever level um, you, you might have to just be lucky to get that spot. There could be three guys, but you're just a fraction ahead of those other two guys for that spot. And um, you know, so for me, I was fortunate The CHA and the Western league gave me every opportunity for success. And um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to move up um, as I did, um, but you, you just never know. So you got, you got to kind of, just grind and and see where it takes you. There's, I think I told you, Jason, when I talked to you before that there's so many other opportunities at the amateur level for guys to go and do, you know, world juniors and world championships and, you know, TELUS cups and all those things that um, you can't take those opportunities away from guys. Like it's, it's fantastic Avenue. It's a, even as a side gig, it's, it's an awesome thing. 
it's an awesome if you can stick it out it's so it's, there's so much to it is can you give us a breakdown of like what's an average schedule like exclude the covid years or are they yeah. this year or 2015 like what's an average schedule for an official how does it like does it set out the start of the year you know like how many road trips you doing how many games you doing how long are you going where do you go well for us uh you know you're ramping up training in august because training camp for us is usually that first week in september uh it's always out east we've had it in buffalo well the last six years i guess it's been in buffalo but we've been in uh blue mountain uh fort erie that general area just um, so that's usually five or six days out east at training camp. Uh, you come home, uh, you, you might do five or six exhibition games. The newer guys could do, I think, up to 10 uh, exhibition games. Uh, and that you might be close to home. You might be gone for two weeks. There's really no rhyme or reason. And then regular season starting that first week in October, um, our contract is for the referees do 73 games. Uh, linesmen do 75. So that goes from, you know, that first week of October, right up until first part of April. And then, uh, you know, if you're fortunate enough to work playoffs, it can be, if you work right to the finals, that's another two months. Um, so, you know, it's probably just, just a regular season year. It's probably close to 120 nights in a hotel, 130 nights in a hotel in those 26 weeks. And, uh, you know, for referees, referees tend to travel a little more than linesmen. So probably close to 150, 160,000 air miles. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and I, I, the travel never bothered me. The hardest part for me was missing stuff at home, like missing the odd birthday and missing kids, Christmas concerts or hockey tournaments and those sort of things. So, um, you know, I, I am looking forward to being a little more involved in, in their lives now for sure. Yeah, I was, that's what I was just going to ask, Brad, what's next? You're a young guy, um, got a full life ahead of you. I know this wraps up the on ice portion of your career. What are you going to do? Yeah, I, I really have nothing planned. I'm going to, we've got a place in Northern Saskatchewan that we spend our summers at and, uh, I'm looking forward to getting up there and, and kind of down downgrade and settle down for the summer and, and see what happens in the fall. My oldest guy is, a. Uh, volleyball player at university of calgary so follow him next year a little bit my middle guy is uh, up and coming official and he's uh working triple a midget and that and he's probably going to get a chance to do some maybe some alberta junior next year so follow him around and my daughter's a dancer and going into grade 12 so i teased her and told her i was going to drive her to school every day with a big gold chain on and drop her off in front of the school but <laughs> she uh she said uh, otherwise. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to being part of the part of that. And, you know, if Colleen and I want to take off and travel for a week in November, we can do that. Um, you got a you know, lot of looking, miles for that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Well, that's awesome, Brad. Hey, uh, we always like to finish up what we call rapid fire. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, we'll start with some, what was, what was Brad Myers, uh, uh drink of choice, uh, either alcoholic or non-alcoholic after, uh, after a good night or a tough night. Cold pint of beer, cold pint of beer. All right. Loggers or ales? Uh, lager. Lager. Okay. Who is your referee mentor? Bill McCreary. I worked my first exhibition game, regular season game and playoff with Billy. He was awesome with me. Best advice he gave you. Uh, sometimes you got to be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, what What do you feel is the best asset 
a referee needs to have to be successful? Probably two. Uh, like we said earlier, honesty uh, and communication or rapport, just being able to, you know, sometimes you have to give it to a team, but you have to be able to communicate back and forth. Player who made you laugh the most on ice? Uh, there were a few. Uh, Steve Ott was funny all the time. Uh, Matthew Barnaby was funny. Uh, Kevin Sawyer was sneaky funny. Uh, yeah, those guys are, there are lots. Like there, there's so many one-liners that can't be repeated that we get to hear in the trenches that are, you just, you have to giggle. Any player that you two just butted heads on ice? Uh, Sean Avery. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, uh, because there's guys you would see in, in the heat of the battle. Was there a coach who, you know, just you knew was super intense and then after the game was just he would calm down? Who was the one guy where you maybe gave them a little bit more rope when they were yelling at you because you just knew that was his personality? Well, Torts was John Tortorella was uh, like one of the best, classiest guys ever. I He was the first coach I threw out in pro hockey in Rochester, like in 1996. And he came he honestly came down to the room after the game and said, Brad, if we ever cross paths again, you'll never have a problem with me. I deserved it. And he was true to his word right up until the last time I saw him. He was, you know, he would, he would get mad. He would be intense. And it was all said and done as soon as the final buzzer went. He was a class guy. So where's the line? What has to happen for you to kick a guy or a player out of the game? Well, it, it, it's... What did Torch say? Uh, oh, it was, it was a pretty vulgar rant. And I think... To be honest, I think he was testing me. I was a young guy and his team wasn't playing very well. And, you know, it was just, I had had enough and I had to stick up for myself a little bit being a young guy. And I think that's, that's the fine line uh, that officials walk now, especially new guys or newer guys, because you have to earn your respect from the coaches, but you also can't fly off the handle every time they yell at you. So you got to, you know, sometimes you got to develop that rapport a little bit before you get to the point where, you know, the coaches cross the line and it's, and it's time to send them into the room a little early. And, you know, it, sometimes it's not about the coach yelling at you for anything you've done. It's, it's a grandstand moment. They're trying to fire their team up. They're trying to, you know, they've already pulled their goalie once and he's yelled at the D man once he's yelled at all the forwards. So now it's your next and he's just trying to send a message. So a lot of times that's all it is. As if you played hockey. So you're a fan of hockey. Is there a play or two that when you were on the ice, you were just like, oh my goodness, that was unreal. Well, the Sedins were ridiculous. Like lots of times you'd be standing in the end zone and watching those two guys zip around and cycle. And like, it was, you get hyper-focused on those two guys and like, oh man, wake up here. You got to watch what's going on in front of the net because they were, they were amazing every time they were, especially in the offensive zone. It was just ridiculous to watch those two. I see some sticks behind you on the wall. Are those signed sticks from NHL guys? Yeah, I was pretty fortunate the last uh, well three weeks of the season. There were some uh, some guys that I had been around, you know, through the wars with a long time. Some older guys that uh, signed sticks, uh, you know, Thornton and Spezza, and then both the Shen boys for sure. Uh, they sent me sticks. Uh, Sid signed a stick for me, and. You know, Todd McClellan, who and I grew up together in Saskatoon, we played baseball together and hockey against each other. And um, he brought a stick down that the whole team had signed. So, you know, little stuff like that, 
um, you know, my wife bugs me, like, where are you going to put them? But um, it's pretty neat to get that kind of stuff just because that, that respect finally shows through at the end. Not that I didn't think anybody respected me anyways, but it, it was, it's pretty gratifying to get little things like that for sure. What will you miss most about being an NHL official? You know, to be honest, the three hours or four hours at the rink, just with the guys where you're not dealing with, you know, late check-ins at the hotel and two hour lineups at the airport. It's just you and the guys and you're talking hockey and the game's over and you have a beer and you, you went to battle for the three hours and I'll miss those guys a lot. They're, uh, you know, a lot of relationships over the years where, you know, some of those guys I'm not going to see maybe ever, um, you know, unless we're traveling in the same circles, but I'll, I'll miss, I'll miss, uh, I'll miss the guys. Did you ever want, did you ever think about having a, a call like Brad, like uh, Wes McCauley, you know, fire up a, a in-house on the mic? <laughs> Wes is Wes. Um, I don't think anybody can do it like Wes. Um, and that's not my, not my cup of tea at all. I'm a little more low key Wes, give him a microphone and he runs with it. He's the same way at training camp. I mean, he can announce what we're having at the buffet line at training camp and he gets everybody clapping. So uh, that's just, that's just not my thing. <laughs> well, Brad, uh, congratulations on, on an incredible uh, career, almost 50, well, over 1500 games, a regular season NHL. And that doesn't include as Frank outlined the Olympics and all the years in the Western league and uh, you know, uh, uh, junior hockey, senior hockey in Saskatchewan. Will you, do you think you'll ever ref another game outside of a charity game? Like if somebody came to you and said, Hey, we need you for a junior game or something. Would you, would you do another one? No, probably not. I'm, uh, <laughs> and my skates are going to go into my hockey bag instead of my ref bag. And that's it. I'm going to, I am going to try and help out here locally. Um, you know, with, uh, especially seeing my middle guy, you know, pursuing a little bit, I'm going to try and be a little more involved now that I'll be around a little bit. I've uh, talked to a few people about trying to help out that way next winter. So that'll be the extent of my officiating is just trying to help out and mentor some of those younger guys. What type of player is Brad Meyer? <laughs> not very good stay at home D man <laughs> with a muffin shot from the point <laughs> well at least we know you can move Brad yeah we'll try uh, well congratulations Brad uh, enjoy retirement and, and fatherhood and uh, and good luck with the gold chain uh, you show the gold chain and the, and the ref outfit show up at high school that'll be a seller for sure yeah I'm sure that'll be a fan favorite so <laughs> thanks for having me guys it was a ton of fun uh, I wish you guys nothing but the best so thanks a lot congrats Brad Thank you. Take care, guys. Brad Meyer, man. That's a lot of years. And Frank, how about that? 73 games for a ref. And you have no home games, right? Like, that's what they well, travel does. way more if than he, teams. If he's in Calgary, yeah, he would have uh, the odd yeah. home game every now and again. And I think they do try and work those in, but they're far and few between. Pretty much, there's a lot of guys, actually, believe it or not, I don't, I don't know if you know this, there's a lot of guys that don't live in NHL cities, so every yes. game is a road game. Yeah. And, and I should have said no home stands, you know, because sometimes you could be home as an NHL team for 10 days or something like that would be that would be rare. It's not like the only, let Brad work like four straight flame games. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only nice thing is um, you do get some breaks like um, you could be on the road for 12 days and then you have seven at home or something yeah. like that. Like there's a there's a nice back and forth. Some trips are short. Some trips are really long. Um, but I really feel for those guys, um, 
like COVID was a real grind. Like oh. you, you heard some of the, and especially working in Canada, it was a lot different than working in the U S I would imagine. Um, but still they were held to NHL protocols that the rest of the population isn't. So yes. the U S may be fully open in some respects, no mask, no everything else, but you're beholden to everything that the NHL is telling you to do. And you've got to uphold that because you can't get the other guys on your team sick so that they have to be able to continue to work. Yeah, no, I was, that was a tough, it was tough for a lot of people, but you're right. Definitely more isolation as, as a single referee. So that would be uh, challenging for sure. So we wish Brad uh, all the best and uh, it's always good to get the ref's perspective on it. Uh, let's, in, let's bring in uh, Tyler Remchuk on a, on a Friday. For, Ty, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good and I'm ready to roll with another edition of buy or sell delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. Ding dong. Shout out to Liam. Uh, yes. Rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Guys, I'm starting with this. Cam Talbot, since the Minnesota Wild picked up Marc-Andre Fleury, Talbot has a 923 save percentage and he's 7-0-3. Fleury's save percentage is 905. So I'm going to say Cam Talbot will be the game one starter for the Minnesota Wild. Buy or sell, Frank? Sell. They traded for Marc-Andre Fleury. I think they're going to play him. All right. You know what, uh, Ty? I, I might have to buy on that. Uh, for game one, Mark Andre Fleury is the ultimate uh, teammate. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the, their head coach has been a great communicator all year long and, you know, it might just come down to, you know, the numbers against St. Louis. I haven't looked at that directly, but you know, when you got one guy who's nine twenty three and hasn't lost in regulation, it's hard to overlook that. The NHLPA did their, uh, or released their player poll the other day. And there were some ones in there about, you know, who would you rather face your goalies, but I want to get into a couple of the more different ones with you. The Bell Center was voted as having the best ice in the NHL. I want to ask you guys, because, you know, that's where the players work. But where you guys work, which rink in the league has the best press box, Frank? Pittsburgh is really good. Trying to think of the ones that are larger and some of some that have really good views. Um, Some are just so far away, like you're you have no chance of seeing anything. Uh, New Jersey is like that. Like you feel like you're in a different zip code. Um, I've been to every NHL arena now, except for Detroit. I would say Montreal, you know what? Good ice, good press box. It's a gondola that hangs around the rink. So if you look down, it's sort of like Calgary. If you've been in their press box, Tyler, you look over and you're like right over the ice. Pretty awesome. Cool. I always felt it was far though. Uh, to me, honestly, I'm going to go. I like Minnesota. I've always liked Minnesota's press box uh, and, uh, and Colorado actually, but you know, I, I did, I did play by play games there for many years in NLL and I love both vantage points. Uh, actually from a vantage point perspective, San Jose's rink. Cause when they built, they forgot the press box for the announcers. That's so actually they built one of the it. worst. Yeah. No, the press box for the, for the reporter stinks. But if you're the broadcaster, Frank, they have it on the top of the lower bowl. It's unreal. You're so much closer. So it depends if, if you're, if you're the broadcaster, San Jose, if you're the writer though, definitely not. Cause you're, yeah, you're way up there in the corner. It's like uh, Nassau Coliseum. When I did my first game there, I was like, geez, I need some binoculars up here. Right up in the corner. It was crazy. I realized these also aren't buy or sell questions, but I figured they were good. So I'm rolling with them. Uh, the other one they asked the players was if you could trade places with an athlete for a day, which athlete would you trade places with? And we'll say for a game day here. So you get the full feel Jason. Do you get the feel of the bank account or no? 
Well, yeah, you get one. Hey, man, salary's based on per day on the on the uh, on the roster, right, Frank? So yeah, one game I, day, Jack. To me, oh. if, I'd want to do something that you, like you can throw a ball. I can hit a ball. Like I slam dunk once in my life. And it was barely right. I would want to be like a LeBron James where, you know, when you can leave from and you're just flying through the air, one hand, two hand jams. So, yeah, I would I would take LeBron because you're also um, you know what? Uh, yeah, you're going to get, as Frank alluded to, a pretty good paycheck. So I'll take uh, LeBron, maybe Steph, though, because he could shoot. From you got to pick a hockey player. No, he said athlete from any other sport. Oh, you could. I, but I want to know what hockey player you want to be. <laughs> Oh, well, if I, if I was going to be at, well, um, I'd want to be Ovechkin scoring goals is the best. And you know, you're a physical, like you're a power forward who scores goals and he just seems to have a lot of fun. So I'd be Ovi. I think I'd want to be Connor McDavid. That's fair. I'd have to lose a hundred pounds to get there, but well, you'd be super um, fast though, Frank. That's, that's the thing. Like, what would it be like to wake up and be like, I have, I'm putting on rockets right now on my feet. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I would pick a, pick a professional golfer on a Sunday at any tournament. You get to play a sweet course. You get a crowd around you. Unreal. You'd probably be shitting your pants for three and a half hours though. Yeah. So I'm, nervous. Can you, dude, I don't like, I don't like when there's seven people on the tee watching me, let alone, let alone a, a few thousand in a gallery, let alone with a few million dollars on the line. You know, you, you always think of, uh, you know, you watch players closing out their rounds and you go like, Oh, why are they even showing this on like the 18th hole yeah. guys, you know, that are sort of well out of the mix, those putts that they're hitting that seemingly don't matter are worth a few hundred grand that yeah. people don't even realize. Hey Frank, I'll tell you a quick, true story. So I'm not a great golfer. And this was, this happened uh, back in 2007. Chi Chi Rodriguez was doing a golf tour in, in Edmonton. I got Chi-Chi. to golf in a, in a foursome with Chi Chi. And oh, hilarious and, guy, by the way. And I'm, oh, he was funny and he was unreal. I'll tell you what he did. But so we had a tee off in the first hole on this course. And there's literally like a thousand people and they're lined up like you would at a real course. I was literally shitting bricks because I'm like, I'm going to shank one here. I'm going to kill someone. So I'm just focusing the whole time because I was not like a great driver. I'm just like, hey, just focus, focus, doing. I must have done I don't know how many warm up swings, and I got to go third, and I hit it, and I just you know wasn't a great deep drive. I was never deep, but I hit it straight. That was easily the greatest single one second feeling of my life because I was like, I didn't, I didn't shank it, I didn't slice it. Here we go. And later on, Chichi Rodriguez, when the round was done, he did an exhibition for, and this is not a lie. This is a true story because I saw it. So he takes his, uh, his, not his seven iron and he hits one with the fade, right? So it goes off to the right, cuts back in the middle. And I'm like, oh yeah. And then he hits another one, you know, 10 seconds later saying that he can basically cross them either way. He does it three times. The third time, 150 yards down on the floor, he hits the first one, hits the second, the balls collide in the air at 150 yards. The greatest thing I've ever seen. And he did it on purpose. That's insane. It is insane. Like that guy. And I like, he was like, I wasn't a really good putter. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like this guy was draining putts on our course from like everywhere. But he goes on tour. I wasn't a very good putter. <laughs> All right. Next level. We're going to wrap it up with our points bet bonus question here. Uh, the Stanley cup odds are out over at points bet uh, live in Ontario as well. So if you're out in Ontario, you can maybe throw a few shekels down as my friend bag milk would say. I'm going to rattle you guys off sort of the bottom of the Stanley Cup odds here. You have the Kings are 60 to one. The stars are 50 to one. Preds at 45 to one. Caps at 35 to one. Blues 22 to one. Penguins 21 to one. 
Rangers 17 to one. So are the wild Oilers at 16 to one. Which one of those teams is being overlooked by the sports books and the public? I can't say that any of them are being overlooked, but I, if I, if I was, yeah, if I was going to place a long shot, it would be the Minnesota wild at 17 to one. Yeah. I'd say the blues at 22 to one for a long shot. Well, then we guarantee that one of yeah, us, one is of us is in the first one round. of us is lose that. Honestly, yeah. I've already like, I don't even know what the other series are. I'm not sure they will be harder to pick than, but uh, than that's, that. that they're telling you that Vegas obviously thinks Minnesota is the favorite yeah. in the series though. No, no, that's true. So <laughs> I, uh, we'll see, but they don't even know they are today. What if St. Louis gets home ice advantage tonight? <laughs> uh, does it matter? Who knows? Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's going to do it for another edition of a buyer sell delivered by DoorDash. Awesome. I know that was a long pod. So thanks for listening to us. Brad Meyer, some great stories. Uh, enjoy the final day. That, and uh, when we talk to you on Monday, it's going to be playoffs. We'll finally know who the matchups are. We'll have a complete playoff preview coming up on uh, Monday's pod. Frank, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. 